Welcome to Queer Book Chat from SQN, where each month we discuss a different queer-themed book or book by an LGBTQ plus author. My name is Andy Alves Osen, and I'm joined today by our special guest, Matt Litchfield. Today we'll be talking about The Gunkle by Stephen Rowley. One reviewer called it funny, delightful, bittersweet, and eye-opening with tons of atmospheric detail about fabulous Palm Springs. Do you think that's a pretty good description, Matt? I, I think so. A lot of the imagery that was talked about, about Palm Springs, I, I actually inferred from things that I saw from celebrities like John Barman, who live mm -hmm. in Palm Springs. So when they talked about the weather, about the house, about the pool, and stuff like yeah. that brought a lot of that to me. From Torchwood, I'm a big fan. <laughs> and then, so Vogue described it as the kind of the plot of formerly famous sitcom star is suddenly tasked with, with raising his niece and nephew in this sweet, saucy novel. So pretty good description as well. So basically what happens is we have the main character, Patrick, who is an actor, became pretty famous on a TV show, a sitcom. And after his partner was killed in a car accident, he kind of retreated from a life as an actor or celebrity and left LA and just kind of settled into Palm Springs and away from everything. I don't know if you noticed, there's a few references to anti-mame in the novel. Oh, oh, I noticed a lot of references. Yeah. In fact, anyone that is over the age of 40, if you don't get at least half the references, then I think you need to get your gay card revoked. <laughs> uh, there, there were there were a lot of references for the, the 40 plus crowd to appreciate. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, I'm a big fan of that movie. I actually played that movie a lot for my kids when they were younger. In in the story, he's definitely reminiscent of Auntie Mame because in that story, she took in her orphaned nephew, was also named Patrick, by the way. Look at that. Yeah. And, uh, and he, of course, takes in his niece and nephew following the loss of one of their parents and the temporary loss of the other one who has to go to rehab. So, but yeah, definitely a lot of echoes of anti-mame in this, in this story, which it makes it fun. Cause if you know that a movie, you probably love it. And it was, it was fun for me to see that. So I wanted to talk a little bit, a little bit about some of the themes. I mean, it's in general, it's kind of a, light, breezy, fun kind of a story, but it also has some pretty serious topics in it as well, would you say? Yeah. the I, I struggled because I was angry with the author. I was like, you know, it's like, how can you, how can you, I was just so aggravated because it's like, you know, the title seems to imply this is about the kids and it wasn't. It was about the uncle and it, he seemed so flighty and so superficial and it's like but if you give it time to you know progress through the story and and see you know and see character patrick the character's uh, evolution it is really an interesting story to hear i do have to say uh, one of the things that kind of really set the tone was early on 
where Patrick was so disgusted by the term gunkel that he referred to it as similar to the word kankle. And <laughs> if anybody doesn't understand that, I'm just going to say the word moist. If moist bothers you, it's that feeling. It's, it's just like there are just some words that some people are like, ew, ew, gross. And that's that's what Gunkel was to Patrick at the very beginning of this story. He was it was just it was just like just the so anyway, I just thought that was a really interesting way to set the tone for the yeah. for the story. That's that's true. I forgot that he was really put off by it at the beginning. And then later they call him Gup, which yeah. stands for gay Uncle Patrick, which yeah. I thought was kind of cute. But but yeah, what you're saying about kind of how shallow or superficial his character was it did the way he was described and portrayed did kind of track along with his own progression they started showing a little bit more like how his eyes were opening up about what was going on with the kids what was going on with himself he not only had this huge new responsibility with taking care of these children for several months, but their mother was also like his best friend. So he had that loss to deal with as well. And he had never really properly or completely dealt with the loss of his partner because he just kind of screwed off to the desert for several years and, and didn't deal with it, right? Yeah, that was that was my conflict in the beginning of the first half of the book was this was... I, I had, I don't know if I'm going to use the word soulmate, but there was, I had a friend that was very close to me and, and she passed away. And so there were elements and that was like, oh my gosh, 2001 or something like that. But there were elements of that relationship that I understood that you were still in your, you know, you're in your twenties and you're still figuring the world out and you had this strong bond with someone. The, the conflict I had was that if he had this such a strong bond, regardless of the fact that the bond was with someone who married his sibling, yeah, you still have some kind of association with her children, and he didn't seem to have that. So that was that was my conflict with the, the first half of the story was the fact that if the, this bond with with uh, with Sarah, uh, who became his sister in law was originally his friend, was so strong, we didn't learn until later in the story that the, his detachment from family was also largely because of the loss of his partner. So there, there, was, there was, a like I said, there was a big part of the, the story. So anyway, there, it, was, it, was, it was a bit of a struggle to get through the, the, the first part of it, but it, it yeah. all comes together as you get through the story. Yeah, I think later you understand more that a lot of it was intentional on his part because of his uh, overall kind of detaching from everyone and everything. And I think he wanted it that way, at least for a while. And then I think also it's sort of, which, you know, does happen, kind of life gets in the way. He lives a very different lifestyle than his brother and sister-in-law or friend did you know what i mean and yeah unless you work really hard at it it's hard to stay close when you're like also halfway across the country it it it, it comes up later in the book about the the safe version of ourselves 
yes. and specifically referring to specifically gay men. You know, it's like where we, it's like, we don't really dis as, as queer men, we don't really discover ourselves until we get into adulthood because we create this version that everybody expects us to be. And then we start discovering ourselves later as opposed to folks that don't feel that they're in that situation where they're expected to be a certain way or whatever, or, or the way they're expected to be naturally fits the way they feel. But the, um, there was, what was it? I want to go back to some of my earlier, cause I don't want to get too far into the, into the book. Um, yeah. I just want to just real quick. I wanted to interject cause it was really interesting that you mentioned that cause I had marked a couple different passages in the book, kind of getting ready for, for our podcast. And I thought that was really interesting too, the way he described like what gay people do. And he says, mm -hmm. what do you think gay people do have done for generations? We adopt a safe version of ourselves for the public for protection. And then as adults, we excavate our true selves from the parts we've invented to protect us. It's the most important work of queer lives. And I thought, wow, that's really well said. That's pretty profound. Yeah. You know, it's it, when he is serious and thoughtful, he does say some profound things. Yeah, yeah. There's clearly a lot more going on with Patrick than what he's telling us. Again, going back to the, 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 the first 15, 16 chapters, he mentioned about the, the odd disconnect between he was so close to their mom, but wasn't connected to them in any way. There were a lot of cliches and gay cliches and tropes mm. very early on in the book, even to the point where his sister Clara mm -hmm. made a main reference. And I was like, she gets that, but she, she doesn't get him. Mm -hmm. And that, that was at the funeral for Sarah, his friend then sister-in-law uh, but then there was the concept of moving the kids from connecticut to palm springs was what the the biological father felt was the best thing uh mm -hmm. for the kids um, and it just seemed very all very disjointed and confusing but again you keep with the book you start to understand all the dynamics that are going on yeah they later reveal that it was his friend Sarah's idea that the kids be with him after she passed away because she knew mm -hmm. her husband had told her about his pill addiction and that he was going to go into rehab. And it was her idea that the kids go with Patrick, which was interesting. And he didn't know that until the end of the story and neither did we. Yeah. There, and I also thought it was interesting, some parallels between the death of Sarah and the death of Joe, uh, his partner. Uh, and I, I, I want to get into that later, uh, into the Joe thing. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I, the, 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 the pacing of the story was uncomfortable for me, mm. but I'm glad I stuck through it. Yeah. And, and, I think for me, I mean, there were, you know, definitely those inconsistencies or maybe things that were a little difficult to understand, but it was entertaining enough where I, I knew I was going to stick with it. And, you know, it seemed like gradually along the way, they started to 
reveal more and more about him and what his experience had been and why he was living where he was and kind of the way he was. And so I, I think there, for me anyway, there were enough sort of funny or amusing bits along the way where I didn't get too frustrated about the plot points, but yeah, they definitely revealed a lot of things sort of in the second half of the book, I would yeah. say. I thought, I thought, I found it interesting that I was, like I said, I was getting mad at the author, not just the character, the author. Yeah. I was getting mad at the author for how he was choosing to tell the story. But then Patrick, primary character, his sister comes in and says, I don't approve of your life and how you're doing things and I'm taking over and I, I switched gears and I'm like, how dare you? And yeah. suddenly Clara was the, 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 the bad person. Oh, she and... was definitely for me, she was the villain. And then they, they, they sort of tried to soften that later on, but we talked about this earlier off the air, but she was to me, definitely a villain. And then, it seemed like they sort of tried to soften her up by explaining she'd been going through a divorce and that just didn't fly with me. Like didn't excuse her bad behavior. Yeah. I think, I think she was, her character was very quick to admit her defeat, mm -hmm. which worked for the flow of the story. Yeah. I don't think it was realistic, but we're, we're talking about a fictional story. So, but the, as, hard as I was being on the author and the and the primary character of like why are you being this way and why why are you it's like why are you not trying harder and doing this and then as soon as this Clara comes in I just wanted to it's like how can we just put her on a plane and get rid of her as soon as possible right um, and nullify her concerns because she was being so hateful even though she thought she was coming from a loving place uh, she didn't realize how dismissive she was being. Well, in the timing of it, she happened to come in when Patrick had thrown a party with, you know, with grownups, but and it was the first time he had done that the whole, uh, during their entire visit. And she just made this snap judgment. Yeah. This was he was having huge parties every night and the kids i think that's that has a lot to do with it it's like queer uh, folks will as a form of self-preservation will remove themselves from toxic toxic environments mm -hmm. but then it's like if the if the family they remove themselves from really cared they would continue to reach out in a loving manner and they usually don't and that that was the case here it's like they wanted to blame Patrick for his success in developing himself and going after what he wanted. And it's like, but y'all could have flown out. Y'all could have called, right. emailed, whatever, and you didn't. Well, yeah, I think they, they probably resented his success or were jealous of it. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the other thing I was thinking about, his sister, Clara, she was probably angry that she wasn't chosen to take care of the children and couldn't understand why they chose Patrick instead. And, and I think she really resented that. Oh, there's a whole, there's a whole uh, psychological 
study there with the heteronormative this this is your role and this is what you're supposed to do right and she felt like she was following the rules and doing what was expected and he was breaking the rule patrick was breaking the rules and doing what he wanted and her following the rules had higher value than him breaking the rules right absolutely One of the things that really jumped out to me on the, in the book was where we got to the meal when Patrick was without, was out with the kids and Maisie is just starting to express her frustration with the whole situation. Um, and you know, she's, you know, like, I'm not doing this. I'm going to go home. And, and Patrick's like, sit down, eat your food. And the there was a couple at the table next to them hands patrick a note on a napkin and says you know we understand parenting is hard you're doing a great job your meal was on us i i actually audibly gasped during that part because it was such it was so heartwarming very yeah very touching and I think the emphasis needs to be on the fact that an elderly couple, which from the narrative, we assume to be a male and a female. Granted, we're in Palm Springs, but assume to be an elderly male and female didn't assume anything. They just saw an adult trying to take care of children. And it was just, it was just so loving. And I appreciated it. Yeah, it was, it was really lovely. And, and I think anyone who's either, you know, been a parent or been taking care of kids for some amount of time, who's been in that situation where you're in public and you're afraid you're, you're looking like a monster because you're trying to keep kids under control, you know, even if you're in, if you fall within the heteronormative model, Right. I, I have no doubt that someone that identifies within that model of heteronormativity just being devastated of their kids acting up. And we have the Gunkel who has all all that other layer of stoomed judgment in him. And the fact that this other couple, they were like we don't know your situation, but you're, you're an awesome parent. Yeah. Yeah. That was, it was really cool. Yeah. It was very, very poignant. So from that overwhelming experience, let's jump into Emery. Okay. So I, I was a little confused about Emery because Patrick had shown uh, a video to to the kids, but we never really explored who Emery was. I was a little jarred by Patrick being like, "Okay, you can stay over, but here's the here's the conditions." And then when the kids come in, I thought that was a little weird scenario, but I liked the way that it played out. Well, and I think they didn't get too much into his character because I think it was more he was more there to kind of like serve the story of um, Patrick's 
kind of coming out of hibernation and actually yeah. being like open to a relationship. And it was almost like this kind of fantasy relationship because here, you know, this young guy who's on like the CW or whatever, you know, very good looking and, and uh, Patrick's obviously older, but it kind of like shows him that he's still attractive. And, you know, so I think it was more about kind of a more positive story for him and, and looking towards the future more. Um, again, it just, ha- it was like, it just happened uh, going back to what I said earlier in the podcast, where it's like you, you have a story to tell and the character just happens to be gay in this situation. The character just happens to be a decade and a half younger than the primary character in another story it could be and that could be fine i'm glad that that was not made a focal point it was just an established piece of history in the story yeah just told kind of told factually like what they didn't make a big deal out of it because it you know doesn't need to be a big deal yeah that what that that wasn't the story and again i appreciated that not being the story but i'm glad that we were aware of it but that wasn't the thing right right and i think like for the reader it was really nice to kind of see patrick have that relationship because he had been alone for so long you know but then he kind of became open to it and was willing to kind of see what happened Patrick's like, well, 40 is young in, in Palm Springs. Right. Right. And it, I, I mean, I'm, I'm about to be 51 and I don't care what people think about my age. Right. But at right. the same time, I can understand when you live in an environment that is all about every freaking day, I can understand how that really has an impact on your outlook for relationships. Yeah. Well, that's, remark too about that being young for palm springs is really true i know we talked before you you haven't been there yet but uh, i've only been there once for a few days but it's definitely a lot of older gentlemen you know um which is which is great you know you can go there and and you can feel young and you know they don't feel out of place i think the way that maybe they would if they just uh went into a bar in you know, West Hollywood or whatever, they would really stand out, but. Oh gosh. Yeah. I can definitely say in the last few years, the few times that we've gone into any West Hollywood establishments, we definitely didn't feel hated on. Yeah. But we definitely felt like we were not the demographic. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, I've seen you in LA a couple times and mm-hmm. I had been there other times as well. My husband and I got married there and, but I still haven't gone out there anywhere. Like partly because I just thought, well, it's a younger crowd. I don't know if I want to do that. Like I would go, you know, with friends or something like that, a group of friends. Otherwise you sort of feel like, what am I, what am I getting myself into? You know, it's like, maybe this is just not my speed. So next time I'm out there though, 
we'll go out. We'll get together and we'll go out to Mickey's while Tony is hosting. Yes. Yeah. Tony Moore for anyone that's listening. Yes. Lounge with Tony on all social media platforms. Absolutely. Yeah, no, we love Tony and I would love to kind of see him there in his element doing his thing. Mm-hmm. He's got such a great personality and I know, you know, it'd be fun because like he just makes things fun. So yeah, that's our plug for Tony. <laughs> the next thing after Emery, the next thing I was wanting to make a note of was when, was it Cassie? Was that the agent name? Yeah. When she came back to him and she's like, oh, there's interest. And his response is that ain't it kid. And then dance. 10 looks three, both being uh, a chorus line references. I, I appreciated both of those lines. That was cute. Because, it, it went right over her head, right? Yeah. Well, well I, I guess Cassie was in, he seemed to allude that she was in a production of chorus line at some point. But the thing is, is that he finally got what he was asking for but he's moved on uh, and he recognizes it. So the, that ain't kid was, you know, that's not what I want anymore. Dance 10 looks three. Um, again, sorry, folks, you need to do your homework and watch course line to appreciate that. But he appreciates that he's older and he has something to give but it's not the default. Yeah. And I mean, I was surprised at the end that he did. I mean, they were really offering him his own show on a platter and it was all going to be designed around him, kind of his personality and everything. And I mean, I think that it was sort of left open at the end, whether he might actually go ahead and do it, but to him, it was more important to be out East for a while and be close to the kids so mm-hmm. that was cool I mean, yeah, I mean at that point in the story i'm like take it take it take it take it take it right yeah um, but just you know despite the development of the character i'm like oh this is this is an opportunity the what was it i loved i loved 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 this quote where they wrote to lose one parent may be regarded as misfortune to lose both looks like his carelessness and that's Oscar yeah. Wilde, the importance of being earnest. Right. There's just so much to unwrap there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it was interesting because they talked about how much he loved Oscar Wilde. And mm-hmm. there were several references to that. But yeah, it makes me want to go back and read that play again. I loved that they ended on Noises Off because when I was in high school, I I just was so dissociated with everything up until 11th and 12th grade when I was in stage crew and I truly enjoyed being at school for once. And one of the productions we did was Noises Off. Mm -hmm. And for for, uh, us in, gosh, I don't know, that would have been 89, 88, somewhere around there. The sardines were Tootsie Rolls that were stuck to a plate for the prop. So they were supposed to be sardines. But yeah, they were supposed to be sardines. And you used Tootsie Rolls. 
Yeah, we used. To, yeah, I I wish I could remember her name. One of the seniors that was in the production, she stepped on a nail during the production. Yikes! And she continued through it. And wow. I didn't know until after the fact that she had hurt herself mm. and then come to find out decades later, this, this happens the, the, you know, it's like a prop isn't where it's supposed to be, or a line is out of place or whatever. And you just keep going with the scene. You keep going. Right. And so I was, I was appreciative of hearing a reference back to that, back to my very very early introduction to theater so anyway i just i just i just really like that so. yeah that's kind of the same the same point in school when i started getting more involved or uh, engaged again was right around that same those same grades and because i started playing soccer i started acting in the school productions and things like that you know you find things that you just feel like you belong and and it makes a huge difference. One of the few uh, adolescent things that made me happy mm-hmm. was participating in stage crew. Yeah, that's awesome. So did you, there was some more you wanted to talk about with Joe? No, again, it, I, I just, I, I appreciated the honesty from Patrick in the letter. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. That was an interesting thing too. I'd never heard of that exercise, I guess, of writing a letter to someone that you lost. Mm -hmm. I can see where it would be therapeutic, but also maybe like really difficult. Mm -hmm. So, and the fact that then the kids did it too was interesting. So all in all, would you say you enjoyed the book? Like, would you recommend this to someone? I would, I would, I, okay, again, first half of the book, no, I would not recommend this book. Having read through it, I would definitely recommend this book, especially to anyone who has become a caregiver or mm-hmm. has found their relationships changed because of a death in a family. Yeah, I would definitely recommend this book to folks. Yeah, no, I I feel the same way. I think like, I mean, there's definitely parts of it that are kind of lighter, funnier, you know, when you do have like the main character is basically like anti-mame, but you know, in the- Why did I buy him those long damn pants? Right. (laughs) Yeah, so, you know, I was entertained by the humor throughout, and then it did gradually kind of get deeper as you went along, and it got deeper into Trick's character and the different things that he was dealing with, and he was, I guess, starting to confront more as opposed to just trying to escape. So yeah, I mean, I I enjoyed the beginning, but then I really appreciated by the end that there was depth to it. And I think there are universal themes there with loss, as you said, with caregiving and parenthood or being a gunkle or whatever kind of, you know, family dynamic you have, there's going to be things in there, I think that people can relate to. And he's written several other novels. One's called Lily and the Octopus. The other one's called The Editor. So if people enjoyed this one, you know, they may want to check those out. 
I think I might. He actually, for this book, uh, The Gunkel was a finalist for the Thurber Prize for American Humor, which is, you know, pretty prestigious award. And I guess that kind of underlines that it was meant to be funny, meant to be humorous, but, you know, there's kind of the bonus of, of having that kind of light entertainment, but then developing into something deeper. So, cause I would be more attracted by the cover because <laughs> to me, it's like, oh, this looks fun, but um, it managed to, to do both in the end, which was a pretty neat trick. I would say. I was definitely surprised pleasantly uh, by this book absolutely good well thank you so much i really appreciate all your uh your participation and engagement and all your thoughts on the book made me think about some things differently so i i appreciate that and i will look forward to seeing everybody next time